Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled, It's No Laughing Matter, Part 2. And firstly, it's good to be back after a nice break. Good to see everyone. You know, as I was thinking about tonight's class, I was reminded of a typical answer that we get. If you walk, around, if you walk on the street and you say, and you meet a Jewish person, you say, do you want to do a mitzvah? Do you want to put on tefillin? Do you want to light Shabbos candles? So there's a typical answer that someone that does not want to do that will say. They say, I have my own connection with God. I have my own connection. And I was thinking about that. Have you heard there's a theory in, uh, it's called the five love languages. Have you heard mm-hmm. of that before? The, fi- the five love languages. The five love languages, it's a method of connection with your spouse, with your students, they have it in every, in every area. Let me, let me, let's talk about it as, a, as an educator. The five love languages, they say some students, you connect with them by doing acts of service. You know, if you go over to them and you physically you help them, they need a cup and you give them a cup of water, for them you'll be the best teacher ever, acts of service. Some students, you could do whatever you want as a favor. What they're looking for actually is for words of affirmation. They want you to say, Brett, you're the best guy that ever lived. That, that, will, really, that will really get them going. Others, they want a pat on the back. They want some physical touch. You know, a fourth, they're looking for quality. They want, they want the teacher's time. They want you to, the, whatever you do is not going to work. They want you to spend time with them. Five different methods of connection. Oh, and the fifth one. And, and there's a fifth. Which is gifts. Which is gifts. That's right. Just you know, some people that the, the way you connect with them is gifts. And one of the things that you learn within this thought process is that if someone, if let's again in the example of a teacher, if your student, if their method of connection is through quality time. You could give them as many gifts as you want as a teacher. You could go ahead and compliment them as much as possible. You could, you know, you could slap them on the back and whatever it is, but it's going to mean nothing to them if you're not going to give them that quality time. You're not talking their love language, as the expression goes. Um, in other words, sometimes we could try as much as we can and we miss the boat. And we see it often. People will go, they'll extend themselves tremendously for a second person. And the second person doesn't appreciate it. Why? Because that's not what they're looking for. I think we probably could all think of something where we really extended ourselves and the second person just didn't appreciate it. Or I could think of examples where I know people extended themselves for me, and, but I was like, I didn't really need that. Right? Well, I was, th- I, I was thinking about this idea in our context. Some people say, they say, I have my own connection with Hashem. Not, not, not really, no, no, no. Hashem has established how we connect with Him. We are lucky. Hashem has made it much easier than a human being. Because when you're dealing with another human being, you have to feel them out. You have to establish what type of connection does that person want. How do I get to know this person? But Hashem has list, listed it for us. He says, you want to get close to me? No problem. I want you to eat kosher. You want to get close to me? Simple. Put on tzitzit. So whatever, whatever the 613 commandments are, he's listed them. But there's, not, there's no other connection. And if, if someone says that I have my own connection to Hashem, it's essentially, 
They're like that spouse which says, I know that what my spouse really wants is gifts, but that's not what I want to give them. I want to give something else. There's, there's a missing, missing connection here, missing link. And this, I thought, led beautifully into our topic here. You remember we discussed how the topic, we discussed a person will never sin unless a spirit of folly enters. And the example where, where we learned this is from the Sota. We learned this from the woman who her husband is worried she's being in seclusion with the man and having an inappropriate affair. The, and the husband warns her and says, never be in seclusion with that person. Are you familiar? You, do you remember that you recall the story? I'm not going to repeat the story now. We learned it in the previous class. But the lesson that we learned from that story is a person will never sin unless a spirit of foolishness has entered. And sometimes the spirit of foolishness is to say, I have my own connection to Hashem. What are you doing? It's a spirit of foolishness. A person is saying, don't worry about the Torah and mitzvot. Don't worry. Yes, Hashem may have said, connect to me through this way. But don't worry about it. I have another way. That's, that's one method of foolishness. In, in the example of the woman who's in seclusion with the man, we said her foolishness is she's saying that I'm not killing anybody. You know, she's playing down the gravity of the sin. So let's put this together. A person will only sin if they don't understand what they're doing. If someone understands that when they are going to commit any sin, and that's why it's, I, the class is titled is No Laughing Matter because the agenda, in a sense, of this parak, of this chapter of Tanya is to tell us that the smallest sin has a tremendous negative effect on a person. It's not a laughing matter. If you want to connect with Hashem, Hashem established how. And if someone is going to go and commit any sin of any level, they are destroying that connection with Hashem. You wouldn't want to do that. Only through foolishness, only through someone playing down the gravity will someone go ahead and sin. But that does happen, right? People play it down. So let's regroup here. We started off in chapter 18 discussing how inside of every person there's a hidden soul. There's an, a, a hidden love. Ahava misuteret. And this love for Hashem is like a candle. It's like a candle that is constantly striving to connect with its source. The love inside of us is on fire. But... You're able to cover over the fire. You cannot extinguish the fire, but you could cover over it. Just, you could take a fire and you could put it in a small room. You could, you could limit its effect. Unfortunately, we have the power to take this fire inside of us and limit its effect. Not extinguish it, but cover over it. But the fire is never extinguished. No matter what, right? We have a quote in Chabad. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. That, that's what we're learning right now. This is a source of it. Because there is a soul inside of you that you can never put out, no matter what's going to happen. You can try as hard as you want. You can never separate yourself from Hashem. But you can conceal it. You can hide it. But when something is going to come to you and say, separate yourself from Hashem completely, serve an idol, then that flame is going to be revealed. Nothing can conceal the flame enough to allow a person to completely separate from Hashem.
Yes, Garrison. Um, maybe this is off topic, but if that's true, how come wasn't I can't remember which king it was. It was after Shlomo when they split into the yes. northern kingdom. Yeah. And they blocked off the access mm -hmm. and they prayed to their own they must have lost that flame at their the flame was not lost. This is a good question, and it's been brought up before. It's a, it's a fantastic question. We're, say, we're learning here that a person will never serve an idol, and unfortunately we know people, not only they served idols, Gershon is saying, but there was a Jewish king of the northern section of Israel that actually put idols up in the temple. They put idols up in, in his area to stop people from going to the temple. So it's a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. The flame is always there. But unfortunately, sometimes a person does have the ability to imagine it's not there and go against it. But before a person is going to do something terrible, unfortunately, yes, a person can go, go against God and completely bow to an idol and serve idols. Or, But that's not his natural instinct. Naturally, we're learning. Hashem has created us with this fire that will not allow us to do that. What are we learning at this moment? Where are we? We're holding in the middle of chapter 24, page 104, and we're going to about to learn that someone who sins is worse than evil. That's what we learned previously. Now we're going to learn someone who sins is worse than the lowest of low. What is the lowest of low? Well, let me tell you. Could you throw out, what is the definition of holiness? How do you define holiness? Well, the meaning of holiness, but, but what's special about holiness? Well, I'll share with you, in holiness, a holy, holiness, number one, it shares, it shares with others. Second of all, it shares with others, even to far distances. We say a selfishness is, is, is not holy. Someone that's selfish, that's clearly not a holy trait. So the ultimate opposite of holiness is the mosquito. Why? Because we know mosquitoes only take in, they don't give out. Now, although it may be annoying to have to go to the bathroom, but we do learn that there is some, there is holiness in it. A mosquito, the fact that it only accepts and it doesn't give out, we say that is the ultimate klipa. The ultimate, the ultimate level of impurity. Just taking. And the, the Gemara is going to tell us that someone who sins is lower than a mosquito. And that's a terrible... I mean, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a curse. I mean, that's, that's very low. If you, someone who sins is lower than a mosquito, why? Does anyone recall why? Because the mosquito is doing the act of Hashem. But someone who sins is on his own going against Hashem. Remember we learned that Bilam, oh, evil just listens to Hashem. It can't go, Hashem has, has allowed evil to exist. But it's fulfilling the will of Hashem. Someone who sins is not only it's lower than evil, it's lower than the lowest of low is lower than the mosquito. Let's see this inside. <coughs> Chapter 24, page 104. 
Sharon, you want to share with uh, Barbara? Yes. And where are we? We're on the third line of the page. The real truth. You know when people tell you, I'll tell you the truth now. Now we're learning the real truth. You ready for the real truth? The real truth, however, is that even in the case of a minor sin, you are not talking about someone committing adultery, idolatry, or killing, God forbid. Even in the case of a minor sin, the offender transgresses against the will of the Supreme One. Blessed is He. A minor sin. This is very serious. It's no laughing matter. Now we get the title. Not a, a minor sin. And is completely separated from His unity and oneness. Blessed be He. When someone does a minor sin, he's completely separated from Hashem's unity and oneness. This is the scary part. Even more than the Sitra Achra and the Klippa, called strange gods and idolatry. Sitra Achra, Klippa, they're doing what Hashem wants. But when someone, even a minor sin, they're, they're lower than that. Not only are they, is someone who sins lower than the sin itself, but they're even and they are lower than all things that are derived therefrom in this world. Anything that comes from impurity is greater than someone who sins. What's an example? Namely, the unclean cattle and beasts and unclean birds and the abominable insects and reptiles. All of these things are unholy. There, there is some, such a thing as an unholy animal. So much so, you, you ever heard of the eight rodents that are completely impure? It, the Shmona Shiratsim. Shmona Shiratsim. In Yeshiva we had a joke. It's a little play on words. This is a yeshiva joke. Uh, you probably won't laugh. I'll tell you it anyways. <laughs> Shmona, Shmona Shiratsim means eight rodents that are completely impure. But if you don't know Hebrew too well, unfortunately, the word Shiratsim, does anyone know what the word Shiratsim means? Ruts in Hebrew. What does the word ruts mean? To run. Run to run. Oh, that that run. It's good. So if if you mistaken it, the joke in yeshiva was Shmona Shiratsim, eight people that run. Maybe they're also impure. No. Okay. Thanks for laughing. Okay. Good. I know. I I knew I'd get your attention. I knew I'd get your attention. Okay. So Shmona Shiratsim, there are eight rodents that are completely impure, and in the times of the when we're able to eat the holy, the teruma and the miser the different parts you give off from grain, if someone will get in contact with any of these rodents, they would automatically become impure, not able to eat these, not able to eat the holy food. Why am I sharing this? Because even those animals that are naturally impure, they come from impurity, they are higher than someone who's sinning. Okay, we didn't finish it. It's gonna, to quote the Gnat, is that, how do you say that word? The gnat. The gnat. The gnat was created ahead of you, man. A gnat is a mosquito, is that correct? Or it's within that category? It's a tiny bug, but it doesn't bite. Yeah, okay. I will tell you another place that they translate it as a mosquito. Because I believe, the mos- cause I, I believe both of these animals take in and don't give out. Then, okay, but here it says the gnat was created ahead of you, man. Which means that even the gnat, which consumes but does not excrete, and is the lowest cleaver, 
And the most distant from holiness, let's look in note 12 on the bottom, where it says that the gnat does not excrete, number 12, the symbol of extreme selfishness. The ult- ultimate selfishness is not, is just keeping everything for yourself. Nonetheless, it's, and sorry, the gnat is, let's read it again. To quote, the now was created ahead of you man, which means that even the now which consumes but does not excrete and is the lowest klipa and the most distant from holiness, the ultimate impurity. Why? Because holiness, which bestows benevolence even at the greatest distance, holiness means to share, not only to share, to share with those very far from you. So the, so the nat is the ultimate definition in our context of impurity but precedes the sinful man of the descending gradation and flow of life from the will of the Supreme One, blessed is he. The gnat is ahead of someone who's sinning because he's not going against Hashem, he's doing the will of Hashem. If the gnat, which is the ultimate impurity in our context, is greater than someone who sins, all the more so the other unclean living creatures, and even the fierce beasts, all of which do not deflect from their person but obey His command, blessed be He, even though they cannot perceive it. You see, even animals have a soul. Animals have a soul. Which is why, if to be a vegetarian means you don't believe in animals. If you believe in animals, if you believe animals have souls, then you can't be a vegetarian. Uh, is anyone here a vegetarian? I'm not talking against you. I just wanted to share an, a fascinating thought. Oh, it said, is it, is it if animals... I said, if you believe that an animal has a soul, then you probably won't be a vegetarian. Okay. Why? 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 Good question. Because if you believe an animal has a soul, then you recognize an animal has, an ult- has, has a purpose in this world. And you recognize that the animal can be elevated. So we're taught that the animal wishes to be slaughtered by a shochet, salted, and then eaten with a blessing because you're taking the soul and elevating it. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. When someone passes away, when someone passes away, unfortunately, their, their, um, their time for business is up. Business is over. The day is done and the soul is at a place where it is. If someone, for that soul to be elevated in heaven, how can it be elevated in heaven? Through someone in this world giving charity for that person. That is why when, we t- when Yisgar happens, it's so important to give charity. Because charity is a way of taking the soul and making it even higher. So we can do something to elevate someone else's soul. The same thing is with animals. We learn that animals have a soul. And we can elevate that soul by eating the animal appropriately for a holy reason. Not only do animals have souls, animals also have, have mazal. We say mazal tov. Animals, and that's exactly what we just read. Even though they cannot perceive it, even though the animals don't recognize their connection with Hashem, but it exists. And they will not go against Hashem. Animals will not go against Hashem. So someone who is sinning is lower than these animals. Let me prove to you that animals have a soul. Let me prove to you. 
By raise of hand, how many people here know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? We're familiar. In short, Daniel was thrown into a lion's den and the lions did not eat him. Yeah, simple story, right? It's not too exciting. It's quite exciting, actually. It's quite a scary story. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den and the lions protected him. What happened? Did Hashem make a miracle? Or was this a natural occurrence? Which one of the two, Sandra? Natural. Natural. No. Baruch, why was it not natural? Dan was a Buddhist. He meditated and became a one-fit lion. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Was it natural or a miracle? Wasn't there more to the story? (laughs) What's the whole story? (laughs) So I don't know if this is like which version this is, but I thought (laughs) Daniel performed an act of kindness to the lion. No? And then the lion remembered it? Is that? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Alright, that is the Jewish version of the story. Well, my... What I'd like to do though is... What I'd like to do though is I want to take a step back from the specifics of it. Because... First of all, what learning was lion's den. Well, it wasn't... We don't... We don't... I, I, I haven't learned that it was one line. I may be mistaken, but just out of my natural understanding, I think we're talking about a pack of lions. Okay. And, and now, I may be mistaken with the specific of the story. Could it be it was only one line? But nonetheless, we actually learn that, w- that it was a natural occurrence. Why was it a natural occurrence? Because a- Hashem has created animals How many of you know the first book of the Torah well? we'll, I'll test your knowledge. Here's a quote from the book of the first book, and let's read it inside. To quote further, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. We learn in Genesis, we learn right at the beginning of the Torah, that Hashem has made it that animals have a fear of humans. Well, we don't really see that so often, right? So here's what we're going to learn. If you act like a human, the animals are going to fear you. If you act like an animal, the animals will think you're another animal. Now, we're not talking about a human like we think of a human. We're talking about if the animals recognize that you're a human, you're greater than them. Meaning that you're not sinning, so then, all of it, they, they perceive that. They perceive what we're dealing with and they're not going to touch you like the story with Daniel in the lion's den. But if someone lowers himself to be an animal, he lowers himself to be lower than an animal, he, so then the animals are like, if you're on my level, here we go. Let's, let's, uh, let's fight this out together. This is, not my, this is not my idea. This is actually the Zohar. Let's see it inside. Let's read it read again. To quote further, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, eliciting the commentary of our sages of blessed memory, that no evil beast defies a human being unless he appears to it like an animal. This is a quote from the Talmud. Let's look at note 15, Sanhedrin 38b, i.e. debased by sin. An animal that Talmud and Sanhedrin tells us will not hurt you unless he thinks you're just another animal. 
while confronting the righteous, from whose face the divine image never departs, the evil beasts are humbled, bef- humbled before them as is stated in the Zohar of Daniel in the lion's den. Sharon, I'm not scaring you, right? No. No, no I'm not scaring uh, No, I just was breathing. No, 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 no scary. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Someone that sins is lower than an animal because an animal doesn't sin. Sin means to go against Hashem. An animal doesn't sin. An animal is doing what Hashem wants. So, it, so a sin is when you go against Hashem. Does that mean when you go, go against Hashem's commandment? It has to be a commandment? Or? Or? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. A sin is doing something against Hashem. Is doing something Hashem does not want. What? So, and then it's back to the commandments. Correct. The Torah and mitzvot are our life. But if you're saying, just one more. Oh, of course. If you're saying a minor sin, um, something Hashem really doesn't want, (laughs) is that what you're saying? As opposed to a major sin? Let's read the next paragraph. Maybe this next paragraph will help. It is therefore clear that he who sins and transgresses against his will, blessed be he, even in a minor offense, is, underline this, at the time he commits it. Let's be clear. We're not, if someone sins, they're not chopped liver. We're going to talk after this tshuva, of course. But at the time someone sins more completely removed from the supreme holiness, namely his unity and oneness, blessed be he, than all the unclean living creatures and abominable insects and reptiles which derive their sustenance from the sitrachar and the clip of idolatry. So, someone who sins at the time of sinning is lower than everything that comes from impurity. Now back to you, Sandra. Did that all answer your question? No. Okay, so, so what's the question? This might be the answer, but I don't understand it. Um, minor, I remember one time asking you, and I'm certain I wasn't clear in my question anyway, but um, is there a difference between um, the severity of like killing someone and not waiting six hours between eating meat and dairy? Is that a sin? And, uh, and it's, oh, it goes against kosher. So, I'm assuming that's a sin. Is it a minor sin because it's not taken away? Is, is it a minor sin? Why? Because it's, it's not taking a life. It's not directly stated by the commandment. Oh, you're asking in the context of the Tanya, what is the definition of a major and minor sin? Yeah. Oh, God, I'm sorry. A major sin would be the one we mentioned before. Uh, we, we, before we spoke about adultery. And, you know, and idolatry and killing. Those are, you know, let's say the three major sins in our context. The three sins, the three cardinal sins that we say are mm-hmm. idolatry, adultery. And everything else is minor. Not everything else, but that's just a, that's an extreme. It also equates not keeping Shabbat as, a, as similar to idolatry. Yeah. Is that from what, what we're going to learn next? I can't remember if I was skipping ahead or... No, because that's a fascinating discussion we're going to have in a minute. I I must make a clarification at this point. Someone mentioned uh, waiting six hours between meat and milk. 
that is not a mitzvah, that is more of a halacha and a, and a custom. I, I just want to be clear about that. Um, that that's something that we something we should discuss. I'm not making light of it at all. But in our context, we always need to differentiate between the different levels. Because um, I just had this conversation with someone else. But then can um, you I think it's something like toibling? Um, you know, to me, put it closer because there's a passage in the Torah. I've forgotten how. Every mitzvah needs to be taken into its own equation, and and I I don't know if now is the time to do to equate it, but um, the gist of what we're saying is that there are there are there is something called a major sin and a minor sin. That's what we're learning here, um, but we're learning that the truth is there's no such thing as a major sin and a minor sin because a minor sin like the major sin is creating a separation from God. In other words, we're learning that the idea of a major and minor sin is just something in our mind. But the truth is, every time a person sins, they're separating themselves from the life of life. It's as if, in a sense, you're pulling out your... It's as if, in a sense, you're pulling out your life machine, life support, every time you sin. Yes, yes, Gershon. Um, maybe you should just continue. It's, uh, I think it's... A it's a tangent. So okay. 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 Are there any other questions before we continue? Basha. Well, ju- just that uh, the, the different halachas that we do are not a sin if we don't do them. Tell me one more time. <laughs> well, li- like the li- like the halacha of um, eating dairy six hours after, you know, different halachas. Right, right. Those are not considered sins if we I... don't do them? No, I, I, I can't say, I can't take that on my shoulders that, to say such a thing. What I wanted to say was that um, there are different customs, and each custom is holy. So when it comes to customs, the, the waiting six hours is, is a discussion, and um, there are different customs. So I wouldn't throw that into the equation when we're talking about a, a, idolatry. It's a, it's a whole... So, I just told Sandra that there is something called a big mitzvah and a, and a, a major aver and a minor aver, a major sin and a minor sin. But the truth is that that's exactly what the Tanya is trying not to say. The Tanya's message here is that there's no such thing as a major aver and a minor aver. Every aver is the same, every sin is the same, every sin separates us from God. But there's a problem. Because the Torah itself seemingly tells us that there's a major aver and a minor, a major sin and a minor sin. How? The Torah says there are three sins you need to give up your life for. I mean, if someone tells you to, to, to serve an idol, to commit adultery, or kill, in all these three things, the Torah instructs you, God forbid you need to allow yourself to die. These three th- sins are the worst sins ever, seemingly. However, if someone comes and says, you need to go ahead and eat this cheeseburger or else I'll kill you, the Torah says, what should you do? Eat the cheeseburger. (laughs) So seemingly the Torah itself is playing a game here. The Torah itself is telling me there's more bigger sins and smaller sins. So then what we're learning here is not true. 
Here we're learning that every sin separates you from God. Equal, not, e- not equally, but every sin separates you from God. And yet the Torah seemingly is telling me that there are three sins. And then the rest are just like sins. You know, don't, don't worry too much. It's like, you can make it up. Well, you could be lower than low, but it's still better than having your life taken away. Yeah, but if, if, you're, if every mitzvah separates you from Hashem, so every mitzvah should be a mitzvah that you need to give up your life for. But you can overcome them later. Right? It's not, it's temp, you're temporarily lower than low. It doesn't last forever. So why is idolatry any different? So bow down to the idol now. Well, because God said so. Ah. So is there a reason behind it? There's no reason behind it. It's because Hashem Right, Hashem said so. Clearly. It's something that doesn't... It's, something, it's not because the sin is so bad. It's because Hashem said so. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the answer. <laughs> Let's repeat the question before we get to the answer. The question is, is that when the Torah commands us that the three cardinal sins, we need to go, these three sins, we need to go ahead and give up our life, is the Torah saying because these are the worst three sins? Well, if it is, then all of a sudden we're saying there's bigger sins and, and you know, smaller sins. So we're going to learn, no. There's no logic. This is something fascinating. And until I learned the, the Tanya here, it was beyond my understanding. It's something fascinating. We often think that the worst three sins ever are the three sins of idolatry, adultery, and, and, um, and killing. But the truth is that's not true. For whatever reason, we'll never understand, Hashem has said, these three sins you need to give up your life. But there are, there are seemingly sins that are of greater magnitude. Let me give you an example. And it's straight from the Tanya, we're going to see in a moment. The halacha is that before you eat meat, you need to slaughter it. If it's not slaughtered, you can't. If it's not slaughtered halachically, appropriately, you're not allowed to eat it. And yet, halacha says, who's allowed to be the shokhet? Who's allowed to be the ritual slaughterer? It has to be someone who keeps Torah. And if the person doesn't keep Shabbos, they cannot be the Shochet. Listen to this. If someone does not keep Shabbos, they cannot be the Shochet. Okay, so seemingly now, Shabbos is very important, right? All of a sudden. But the problem is that the same halacha is, is telling us that if the person would have an inappropriate relation, he still could be a ritual slaughterer. Still could or could not? He still could be. But remember, one of the three sins that you need to give up your life is having a forbidden relationship. And yet that person could still be a ritual slaughterer? However, if they desecrated Shabbos, they cannot be? Let me say this again. Shabbos is not one of the three grave sins. So seemingly, whatever happens, whatever the strictness of Shabbos is, if I tell you someone who doesn't keep Shabbos can't do such and such, how much more so someone who doesn't keep the three grave sins, the same halacha should apply. And yet here we're learning that if someone is having an inappropriate relationship, they could still be a shochet. However, if they don't keep Shabbos, they cannot be a shochet. 
It's not adding up. It's not adding up. If having an inappropriate relationship is the worst, top of the line. So what we see here is that Hashem has chosen something and it's not because of logic. Hashem has said, these three th- sins, you need to give up your life. The other sins, you don't have to. Why? I don't know. Any questions on that? But isn't that like because you're saying give up your life um, as opposed to break, uh, murder, adultery, or idol worship? That's like when you have a choice. Um, but if someone had already done one of those things and then they're a shepherd later on, do you know what I'm saying? I, I do. Yeah. But we're learning here that even if someone is involved in something inappropriate, it looks like they could still be a shochet. Yet if someone is currently still not keeping Shabbos, they cannot be a shochet. So we're not talking about history. We're actually talking about the present. But that was a good question. Are there any other questions? I what we're talking about. Like they're actively... Well, Note 19, not my own. Let's look at Note 19 together. Um, you know what, do you mind reading it out loud? Do you have Note 19 in your Tanya on the bottom? Jewish law. Um, yeah, Jewish law disqualifies one who openly desecrates the Sabbath or commits idolatry from slaughtering animals for kosher consumption, but not in the case of a person guilty of any other particular transgressions, um, like the... I don't want to say that word. Okay, no, that's, that's, that's respectful. So, did that answer your question, though? No. No. <laughs> I don't really see how that's to Okay, no, we're learning here that the person is currently openly desecrating Shabbos. So it seems like Shabbos has such a special meaning and represents such a relationship with Hashem right. that not observing it is directly like an act of killing one's relationship with Hashem while being an adulterer, while being um, what's the theory? murderer. I could see all three of those wrapped up in not observing Shabbat. Well, and, and again, that just goes back to the previous point that if Shabbos is so important, so now we should have four things you need to give up your life for. And if Shabbos is not so important, then why, regarding a shochet, is it all of a sudden so important? It's confusing to us. Because it's, a, it's, it's at a certain level. I mean... When you're talking about Shabbat, you're talking about all these things that you're not supposed to yeah. be doing. Uh-huh. And there are people who observe every one of those Shabbat rules. And there are people who do not. Unless and less and down and down. Right. And so does that make them the Mosquito, if you will, of the. I think it counts what we do do, not what we don't do. (laughs) We do do something. We do do something, right? We do. Yes. Okay. We We don't do everything. Well, I think it's funny. We do. (laughs) He likes that, but we don't do. (laughs) 
there's all sorts of ways of trying to say it. But well, there's a lot of rules, I and mean, people don't even know all the rules, so we're committing know, offenses and not really maybe even knowing. Or well, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that you're doing a sin and and you are the the whatever it is. I'm not. This is not directed at you. Okay. This well, is. I'm just asking a question. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to get some kind of understanding as to how so many different levels of of honoring Shabbat, you know, which levels are more important or less important to being that. So you're asking I'm within not, Shabbos. I'm not sure how to say it. I think you're asking within Shabbos there's so many different requirements and levels. How do we know which are most important? And, well, how do we know which are most important? But... How do you know which makes you on the level? I understand. Well, how do you know which ones are are like n necessary? Right, right, right. Well, it says who openly desecrates Shabbos. I guess that's having no regard for it whatsoever. With, with everyone's permission, I'd like to jump ahead and say the conversation here is not to describe. I don't want to get stuck in the sin. I want to move past that. I, this this conversation. This is about them. This is, this is but I thought you had to know yeah. the law, and if you don't know the law, it's not a transgression if you don't. This is like if you know, and you're like, I don't right. care, God, I like my laws, I'm going to not let Phil would like to, Phil would like to say something. So I think, I think the difference is with the three commandments that you are, that you're not supposed to do, those are negative commandments. And you're not necessarily becoming closer to God because you're not doing them. Whereas honoring the Sabbath is a positive mitzvot, and by, by doing it, it makes you more holy, which makes you more qualified to take the life of a sacrificial animal. Right? You're, ra you're raising the level of the soul of that animal because you've done this positive commandment of honoring it's an interesting, an interesting percept, um, per, you know, way of looking at it. So thank you. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read from page one hundred and four as to first word on page one hundred and six. I think this will help us with some clarity, and then we'll put it together. Again, we're on page one hundred and four. We're on the right-hand column. As for the principle. As for the principle, seemingly, if every sin separates from Hashem, so how, as for the principle that saving a life overrides certain prohibitions, and the circumstances when the law calls for the commission of a transgression, so as to escape death, in other words, if every sin separates from Hashem, so why is it that sometimes we need to give up our life and for some Averos, we don't. Ha this is in accordance with the explanation of our, our sages of blessed memory that the Torah declares, violate one Shabbos for him, that he may observe many Shabbos. And not because of the relative leni um, leniency or gravity of this sins. The fact that certain mitzvahs you need to give up your life 
is because Hashem says, sorry, the fact that certain mitzvahs you don't need to give up your life is because Hashem says, better do this sin and be able to do more mitzvahs than don't do this sin and end your life and then that's the end of the game. No, no. Better, if, for example, Shabbos, that's our conversation. Better go ahead and drive someone to the hospital on Shabbos to save his life than say, oh, you need to die here because I can't drive you. No, no. Better transgress one Shabbos and keep many more Shabbos than say, I can't transgress this Shabbos. So when someone, at times, when the Torah says you, should, you, you, you can do the sin, you're not sinning, you're doing a mitzvah. The Torah is saying, at this point, we, driving someone to the hospital is doing a mitzvah. So why is it that there are three sins you're not allowed to give up your life, that you have to give up your life for? Let's continue. This is supported by the fact that the violation of Shabbos is extremely grave and comparable with idolatry in relation to the law of animal slaughtering by one who is a habitual transgressor of any particular Jewish precept as codified in your day, section 2. Unlike the case of one whose particular willful sin is that of incest. So, even if someone is doing the most terrible sin, he, he could still be a shochet. However, someone who transgressed Shabbos cannot. So seemingly Shabbos is on the higher level. Nevertheless, when it is a question of saving a life, the, prohibition of, the prohibitions of Shabbos are suspended, but never those of incest. So that doesn't make sense. If this inappropriate relation is not so serious, so you don't need to give up your life. And if Shabbos is so serious, you should need to give up your life. Rather, this is the punchline, it is a scriptural decree. This, that some sins you need to give up your life and some sins you do not, is exactly like Tzvi said. It's, that's what Hashem wants. It's a scriptural decree. Let's look at note 20. Hence, it is not a matter of, le of leniency or gravity of the sins in question. So let's, let's put this all together. Let's put this all together. Someone, every time a person sins, they're separating them, themselves from Hashem. And we're saying, unfortunately, this is by every single sin. There's no such thing as saying this is a big sin, that's a small sin. Every time a person sins, they're pulling out their life support from the wall. In a sm some mitzvahs on a bigger level, some mitzvahs on a smaller level. But every, every sin is, is separating some of that life support. So we asked, one second, if that is true, how is it that certain mitzvahs you need to give up your life and certain not? That's what Hashem wants. That's what Hashem wants. You know, it's an interesting halacha. I, did I share this last week regarding Hatzalah, or three weeks ago, regarding Hatzalah? We all know that there's these, uh, there's Hatzalah. Hatzalah is like a Jewish um, ambulance service within a lot of Jewish communities. So they have a lot in Israel, they have a lot in Brooklyn, Crown Heights they have. And so basically what they are is, it's a private thing, so they'll come to you much faster than the ambulances. You know the question they ask, it's only in America that Domino's Pizza comes to your home before the ambulance. You know, that's a question. But it's a private-owned, it's a private-owned thing, and it will, they'll be in your house, you know, within, within moments. And... These people, I mean, they, they don't sleep. You're talking about businessmen, people that... Uh, but 
And they operate on Shabbos also. Absolutely. They operate, it's all volunteer. They operate on Shabbos. So there's a fascinating halacha. Very fascinating. We know you're allowed to drive someone to the hospital for them to feel good. But halacha goes so far to say that if you're in, involved in these mitzvahs, not only are you allowed to drive them there, you're allowed to drive back. You're not doing a mitzvah driving back. But halacha says drive them there and drive them back. You know why? Because imagine, Tzvi goes to his wife and says, you know what, I want to join this Hatzalah. But he says, I just want you to know, if Friday night they have to drive someone to the hospital, I'll, I'll see you the next day. Right? Your wife's going to say, you're not joining nothing. Right? We want to make sure that people are going to feel good about helping another on Shabbos. So we, make, we tell them, not only could you drive them to the hospital, you could even drive back. You got, you got the halacha, Yishai? Fascinating. In other words, this fact that we want to save someone's life by, at times, desecrating Shabbos is so important, we'll even go to ex- far extremes. Let's put this all together. I know we've been talking about it, how it's no laughing matter, sin is serious. And I know that I may have, some people may leave this room perhaps in a bad mood. <laughs> but I want to tell you that Firstly, the good news is we only have one more class on this subject currently. (laughs) But the better news is that when we're going to learn chapter 25 and put everything together, put together how the greatness of a mitzvah, put together the lowliness of a sin, what that should do is it's supposed to arouse in us our love for Hashem. And it's going to help us not sin. If you're just coming to class and you're learning how bad sin is, that's, that, that's a terrible class. And I don't want you going to such classes. But if the agenda is how in chapter 23 we learned how great every mitzvah is, every single mitzvah, no matter what you do, just for like, I, I, you know, if you go, we learn every Jew is so full of mitzvahs, right? Every Jew is full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate. If you go and you see someone in the store that could barely walk and you assist them, you know, I always tell kids, if you go and you help, your, you help your parents, if you go ahead and you see someone that needs help crossing, they have grocery bags, you help them into the car. If you go ahead and you, you name it, everything is a mitzvah. Right, 613 mitzvahs, there's so many ways we could get rewarded. So if we learn in chapter 23 how great and simple it is to connect with Hashem, and in chapter 24 we learn how serious sin is, so hopefully chapter 25 is going to come and tell us, okay, so it's no big deal, just stop sinning. Okay, we'll talk more about it. <laughs> but yes, a few yes, questions. Um, so back to the Shabbat yes. comment. Well, like somebody who works at Hatzalah every Shabbat, yeah. um, it seems like it's not the, the, the mitzvah. It's, it seems like it's what your intention is. So every Shabbat, that same person has to drive somebody to the hospital. But their intention is that they would rather observe Shabbat, but they have to save somebody's life. So maybe, so would that person be able to be a, a shofet? I mean, I know this is kind of off topic. No, what, what I'm getting at is maybe it's the intention, not the... Uh, no, no, intention doesn't matter. If someone, is drive, if someone joins Atzala because they have this fiery desire to drive on Shabbos and that's their way out... Oh, no, no. He's got to do it. No, no. In other words, you're saying if they're doing it because that's what they want to do? 
people, but oh. every Shabbat, somebody has an emergency and they have to, so it's difficult every week for them to observe. That person is considered the greatest tzaddik. Yeah. So they could be a shabbat. Absolutely, I'm sorry, I didn't understand, yes. Yeah, Actually, right. we learn, halacha stipulates that the greatest person in the community should be the one to drive someone sick. And it's not, it's not a sin to drive to the, where the ambulance people meet, even if you don't get to drive someone that day. Correct. Because you're correct. preparing to do correct. I just need to throw out one thing. That's correct. I just, before we take that story, I need to throw out that you should know, as an individual, it's not the way the halacha works. If you drive someone to the hospital, and you're not part of this corporation, so it's a one-time thing, then generally it's probably best to stay in the hospital. Just to throw that out there. You know, again, if you drove someone to the hospital, um, and it's a one-time thing, and you're not... Uh, so then, generally, it's probably best for you to... I mean, I've had that experience. You had her join and, and <laughs> okay. then go home. You know, I've, I've, I've had experiences myself where I had to stay for Shabbos in the hospital. I've even heard that uh, someone told me who really knows, because her mother, her parents were... Um, they had helped purchase the Hatzalah back in Brooklyn. But anyhow, she says that the man can wear beepers. Back in those days, they had beepers, but they can wear... Um, uh, on Shabbos and Crown Heights, yes. there are a lot. You, you, you'll be in the middle of davening. There's walkie-talkies going on. Right. Absolutely. You know, one Shabbos, I was—I forgot the city. It's in Upper New York, in the Sitmar community, and they dispatched or owned—I forgot already—Hatzala ambulances, and they dress in. What century? I don't know. 17th, 18th, 19th century clothes. Very Romanian uh, clothes. Just Monroe? That sounds familiar. And at this beautiful Shabbos table, there was a cell phone right there because they wanted to answer it as fast as possible. And it did ring once. And, but at first it was like a shock. There was a <laughs> telephone on this Shabbos table, and um, it was just a wonderful, fascinating Shabbos dinner. And then uh, about the hospital thing, my niece's husband's an obstetrician, and he had a, a woman who lived close by, you know, in the Arov who was doing time. And he just thought he'd walk there and see how things are. Well, I guess things weren't going well. And he ran back, got in his car, drove to her as fast as possible, took her to the hospital, and there he was for the rest of Shabbos. And he had to operate, but he does it with his left hand. He learned equal skill in both hands so that on Shabbos, he operates with his, if he has to, he operates with his left hand to distinguish it is Shabbos. And he is doing something that otherwise operation on that. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra. And it's it's this, is your, this is your but nephew. Thank you. You should My be operating with your best hand possible. But it's safe to be but he did not drive home. Right. And, and lots of Shabbos says he is not home. He's at the hospital because he can't drive back. Wow. 
Just exactly what you're saying. Are you trying for this left hand? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I was hoping to ask about the soul.